Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. I hope you've had a good day. I've had an interesting day, a somewhat challenging day, but some good stuff, too. I hope you have too, Wendy. I mean, uh, when we first got uh, connected here for the for the um, the program today, it's like, whoa, your mind was way off somewhere else, and you just ripped it over here. So I have to give you credit. Wow, how do you do that? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? What did I do? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's like uh, you 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 need my help to remind you. Okay, here's what the topic was. Oh yeah 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 yeah, because you were focused on all this other stuff. That you were oh, working yeah. on throughout the day, and, and, and now all of a sudden you're ripping your attention over to here and working on this, which I give you credit for, but that's not easy to do. You're talking about going back and forth really quickly with different ideas? Well, plus also what you're focusing on during the day. I mean, you, you have work that you're doing oh. during the day, and, and you're, you you put yeah. in a lot of time and effort on it. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm just giving you credit for the fact that you're really good at shifting gears in a big way in the middle of the day. And it, it came through today in, in just our early conversation. I could tell that you're doing that. Well, thank you. And actually, this show is helping me to do that because – you know, I do work down to the very last second when my little reminder goes off in my Outlook calendar and it says, hey, time for the, the LOA Today show. I, like, literally just turn off my computer monitors and walk over to <laughs> where I call my studio, and boom, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> it, it, you're, you're like Fred, Fred Flintstone. The, the horn is going off, and he goes, yeah, but that would do, and runs for the yeah, car. Yeah, but that because this is this is what I love to do. This is a passionate thing for me. So, oh, quitting time on the other thing? Yes, absolutely. And I'm ready to do the thing that makes me feel good. Well, that's good. That's great. I'm glad that uh, it's that easy of a transition. I have to admit, I have to get myself ready. So I'm I'm a little bit envious that you can do that. But it's great. It's great that you can do that. So, anyway, how about wins? Do we have any wins going on today? Yes, and this is probably why it was particularly easy for me to flip the switch today mm-hmm. because um, I had to call a coworker. It was maybe 30 minutes before I knew I had to get ready for the show. Okay. And I knew that what I was had to talk to her about, I was just presenting some new information, but I knew it was on a topic that she's been incredibly frustrated and really angry over. Uh-huh. And so I knew that there was a really good chance that I was going to kind of walk into a hornet's nest energetically. Yep. And so... I kind of prepared myself to do whatever was necessary to flip her switch so that it would end on a positive note, which would allow me to end on a positive note so that I can come into the show already feeling good. Okay. So we, you know, had the conversation, and just like I had expected, she went down the road of, well, you know, I'm angry at her, and she just, you know, was letting out her frustrations, and I let her talk, and then I kind of said, well, you know, here's another position you might want to consider, and She just wasn't having it, and that's okay. And so, you know, I was just kind of thinking, what else could I do to help her? And by the time we were done talking the business portion, you know, she wasn't fuming mad. But, you know, I don't like to think that I've ended a conversation with anybody with them not feeling good. That's just kind of my thing. That's understandable. I said, go ahead. I was just saying that's understandable. Well, thank you. And so I said to her, you know, I don't even know if you're open to hearing this, but I'm going to throw it out just for grins. I said, you know, a couple years ago, I found myself in the same position as you, where these kinds of things really got under my skin. And when I didn't get other people to, like, um, try to help fix it, 
because I'm bringing a problem to someone else's attention, and it's like they don't seem to care. That used to really bother me just like it's bothering you. And I said, but, you know, I decided to make a new decision, and it was that I was going to prioritize being happy because I realized that when I called my help desk or, you know, when I was talking about things that I thought other people should care about as deeply as I was caring about it, and when they didn't, it would leave me really frustrated or angry, it didn't bother them, but I'd get off the phone and I would have this residual icky feeling for a long time. Mm, yes. And I realized, oh, just because I'm good at identifying problems and bringing it to, quote, the appropriate people, um, I ended up feeling icky just because I found something that I knew I needed to, like, raise a flag and let somebody know about. Mm, yeah. So when I decided to prioritize happy, I decided to look at the world very differently. And I said, sometimes just because I found a problem, I didn't tell anybody about it. Because I'm like, well, why do I have to always be the one who tells people about it? Maybe let someone else find the problem and let somebody else, you know, bring it to someone else's attention. So I said, bottom line, it has done wonders for me because I really think about what I do before I do it. Because if I think it's going to end up ugly, then I have a new conversation with myself. Like, is it really worth even going down this road? So anyway, you know, I said, that's just my little two cents. And don't know if you'd want to prioritize happy because, you know, gosh, you wouldn't want to be happy. You know, don't go there. <laughs> she laughed. And so she's now laughing. And she said, you know, that's really good advice. I don't know how well I would do at it. But, you know, she says, good for you. And I said, well, hey, I got, I got something for you that I think will make you happy. And she went, okay. And I said, well, you know I have all sorts of businesses on the side. And she goes, yeah. I said, well, the other day I bought a new domain name for a new URL that, you know, came to me. And so I said I bought it, but I wasn't intending on, like, building out a website immediately. But I said, what you probably don't know unless you have purchased domain names is every web developer comes out of the woodwork to try to sell you on them building you a website. They do. So I said, yeah, literally, I was taking at least 10 to 12 calls a day for the oh, last dear. week oh, no. of these web developers calling me, not to mention all the spam emails I've been getting. All right. Well, normally, because I'm busy, if the phone I caller ID says out of area, I usually don't answer it. But I said, you know, every now and then for grins, I do, especially if it's in an area code that's close to me. I'm like, well, who knows? Maybe it's a potential client. So, you know, I put – I. I put my call, my phone on speaker, and I answer the phone, and um, they start out with, um, hello, I'm, I'm looking for Wendy. And this particular time, I said, why? And that kind of stopped the person. They said, is this Wendy Dillard? I said, who's asking? And so then they kind of went into their speech and said, well, I'm calling from such and such company. I said, what's the name of the company? <laughs> and they said it again. I said, you know, I didn't quite catch it. What was the name of the company? Because to be honest... They were speaking with an Indian accent, and right. I really didn't understand. So they said it again. I still didn't understand it, but I let it go. <laughs> so I let them start with their spiel about, you know, web services, da-da-da, and I'm calling you because. And I said, you know what? I really don't need any web services. And they keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so when, when he took a breath, I said, I'm not looking for any web services. And he kept going. So at a certain point, I said, you're wanting me to buy some web services from you, right? <laughs> Anyway, uh, see, and to me, I'm interrupting his script, which is what makes it so fun for me. And he kind of went, uh, uh, well, yeah. I said, but I don't even have a computer. And he went, 
you don't have a computer? I said, no, I don't have a computer. <laughs> he goes, well, how are you going to put up your website? You, oh, you must have, you must be wanting to do it on your cell phone. I said, I don't have a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> you don't? He goes, how do you take calls? I said, from my landline, which is how you called me. Well, how do you get mail? And he meant email, but he said mail. I yep. said, I get letters sent to me, and I go out to the curb, and I get them. My postmaster delivers them to my mailbox. <laughs> and so I knew I really had him floored. And again, he goes, you don't really have a computer? <laughs> I said, no. And I said, but here's the thing that really qu I'm curious about. I told you twice at the beginning of this call, I do not have need of your services. So I don't understand why you're still talking to me. <laughs> And there was a long pause, and then I could tell he hung up. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time I finished this story, my colleague says, okay, now that's funny, and that put me in a good mood. <laughs> Very goes, good. I think I'm going to go home now. I said, go home smiling and just enjoy the rest of the day. She goes, thank you so much. I said, my pleasure. Goodbye. <laughs> I have to admit, you engaged in one of my favorite activities. It's not one I do very often. Most often, I get a telemarketer and it's just hit the, clo the, the click and turn it off so I don't have to deal with it and block the, call, uh, the phone number so they can never call me again. But occasionally, very occasionally, I'll be in a mood like you were in that mood, and I'll do the same thing. And it is a blast to just mess with their heads <laughs> because, they, well, like you say, they just don't listen. They don't pay any well, attention at all. And for so many years, those calls left me so frustrated and angry. And I remember saying, how can I turn this around? Because, you know, one of the things that I know from Law of Attraction is when you are on the negative side of the equation, to whatever level or intensity you are in the negative, mm -hmm. to the same level or intensity your preference is in the positive. Yep. And since I am a deliberate creator and I think about this stuff deliberately and on purpose, I remember asking myself, okay, if, this is, if these calls are making me this frustrated and, and the residual negative effect can last for a couple hours, how can I do this on the positive side where yes. the positive residual can last for a couple of hours? Very good. Yeah, that's great. I like that. And this is how it, it's happening. And every phone call I get from uh, you know, a solicitor is different. I don't always use the same kind of something. I just let whatever comes to mind come out of my mouth. But what? my intention is not to be mean or ugly, but just to break people out of their trance yeah. of script that they're reading to realize there's a human being on the other side of the phone. Because they have no clue about that. That is absolutely for sure. And, and, and I can give you another example of it. Same kind of call, right? This is a call that, that I, I took this kind of call often because I enjoyed this particular scenario. Call comes in, um, and uh, I, I actually have had a career as a web developer. Um, as you know, but my audience may not know that I was a web developer for many years. I can still do it. I just don't do it very often. So I've ordered many domain names over the years, and I've had many of those calls like the ones you had. And the interesting part is the ones who call never actually check to find out what I do for a living, even though the number that they're calling is on a website about getting web development. So they'll call up. They'll say, you know, you're the owner of such and such a domain. Uh, are you looking for web services? And they start doing their spiel, and I'll say, uh, by the way, do you know what I do for a living? And there's like a, a, a pause, 
And then they say, uh, no, I'm a web developer. Oh, well, and then they go right back into the, the spiel again. Like, it just doesn't even stop them. Okay. So, so, so I let them go off my marriage. So I say, um, do, do you know what a web developer does? Good question. And then there's a pause. And then they just go right back into the spiel because they have no idea how to answer the question. <laughs> and at some point I cut it off just because I get tired of it, but... Um, it's the same thing. I, I, I only do it when I'm in a good mood, when I'm in a mood ready to just have some fun. And, and quite honestly, I am messing with their heads because what the hell? They're, they're trying to mess with my head. So, no, I just returned the favor. That's <laughs> all. So I'm just feeding back to them what they're giving to me. It's not a big deal, you know? And, and oh, my favorites though are the ones who call me. Anyone who's ever, uh, ordered a domain name and set up a website, I guarantee the other kind of call you get, and I'm sure you've gotten this, Wendy, is the SEO call. And for those who don't know what SEO is, SEO is search engine optimization. It's been around since the 1990s. And basically what it means is trying to get to the top of uh, search engine results in order to get lots of traffic to your website so you can get business and so on and so forth. And we won't get into all the pluses or minuses about it because I'll depress everybody. But <laughs> the point is that's been going on for quite some time. So anytime you set up a website, you're going to get a lot of calls about SEO. Again, something I know quite a bit about. So they call me up, same scenario. You know, I see you've set up a website. Great. It's a great looking website. It's always a great looking website. It's never a terrible website. Have you ever noticed that, Wendy? It, you, they never call saying your website is terrible. They say it's wonderful. It could be, it, it could be halfway under development. It says this page is under development and it's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> but they could use just a few tweaks. <laughs> yeah, just a few tweaks. That's all. That's right. So anyway, they call you up and, and they say, I noticed that you're not at the top of the search engines. And my uh, first question immediately out of my mouth when I'm in the mood to play the game is, for which keywords? And that just stops the conversation because they have no idea what the answer to that is. <laughs> now, you have to think about that for a second. It actually doesn't make any sense to, to say the words at the top of the search engine if it's not for a particular search phrase. Because you're not at the top of the search engine for the search phrase Google I guarantee that. Right. <laughs> no, the right. only one who is well, is Google. For those, who are, for those who are listening, if this is technical, really what it means is, you know, if you type in law of attraction, then obviously the words that come to the top of the page are things that have about the words law, law of attraction in it. Yeah, yeah. And so what Walt's talking about is that the person who's trying to sell him something is making an assumption. That's right. But not based on really good information. No, based on no information at all, because I ask them what the keyword is they checked on, and they can't tell me. <laughs> so, which means they didn't check at all. Of course, they're just reading off the script. <sighs> no, so, so there's lots of ways to have fun with telemarketers. I mean, those are just a couple of examples that appealed to me because they were in my field. But uh, you know, when somebody telemarkets you, more often than not, you have some sort of connection to what it is that they're calling about. So you can always have fun with it if you want to. I just wouldn't make well, it a habit. I, as it became a fun game for me, I've actually been using it, again, only when I'm in a good place, just like you're talking exactly. about. I'm using it to sharpen my um, improvisational skills. Because I never know what they're going to say, and I don't know what the solicitation is really going to be about. But I like to just see if I can, like, come up with something on the spot. Yep, that, that makes sense. By the well, way, I, I, I got to mention something, too, uh, about um, the SEO folks. Okay. The, uh, one of the things that they'll try to sell you on, if, you, if, 
if you're in a place where you're considering buying the SEO services, they'll try to sell you on, we will get you to the top of the rankings for a particular key, key phrase or for certain key phrases, keyword phrases, things that you type in to search on. Interesting thing. It, it's always a good idea to check what the phrase is. So, for instance, let's say I am a gardener in Simsbury, Connecticut, which I'm not. My wife actually is. But let's say I'm a gardener in Simsbury, Connecticut, and I want uh, to be found for people who search on uh, gardeners in Simsbury, Connecticut. So they're going to call me up and they're going to say, well, I promise to get you to the top of the search engines for gardeners in, for, um, in Simsbury, Connecticut, which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And yeah. that's what they're counting on. They're counting on you kind of buying into the sound good thing. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's also, people don't necessarily know this, but in Google, the way Google makes most of their money is through advertising on the search result page. And you can actually spot it with, you know, there are certain listings that have ad next to it. Those are the paid advertisements. And those paid advertisements, you actually pay for them through a program called AdWords. Kind of makes sense when you think about AdWords. Well, AdWords actually has a little search tool in it of its own in which it will tell you how many people search on a particular keyword phrase. Mm-hmm. And it turns out if you take the keyword phrase that the SEO folks want to rank you for, such as gardeners in Sinsbury, Connecticut, if you go look at it to see what kind of search history is, you find that the search phrase has been searched maybe 10 times a month. Well, who wants to be ranked for that? <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> well, and that's kind of the fun thing, that especially when you know your topic, that you you can't have somebody get anything over on you because you kind of know more than them, in a sense, or oh, you yeah. know at least enough to throw them off of their script. And to me, you know, I know that there are people who are making a living or attempting to make a living, you know, doing this kind of telemarketing, and I certainly mean them no harm. But I, my, my hope is that when they call me, that I can do something to cause them to think differently. Because I'm a teacher at the core of my being, and if I can get people to learn something – it makes me feel good. And maybe the way they're going to learn it is when they go on break, they tell their colleagues about this stupid call that they had with me, and maybe it causes a conversation to happen that maybe gets people to think differently. Mm. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Yeah. But at least I, I didn't cause them to hang up being angry because I was being ugly and belligerent. That's true. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you have to yell at them or anything like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like if they're, if they, you know, some of them have quotas, they have to call so many people or they have to stay on the line with somebody for so many minutes. So I'm like, I'll give them that. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to do it with me a little bit more in control than they would have expected. <laughs> it's not going to result in the sale they were hoping for, but at least they got their quota, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. So I know we have a topic for today, but since this is all about, you know, law of attraction, I actually attract people who want to hear from me. That's how I, what I believe. Okay. You know, at the specific operators that do end up calling me, it's because we're a match on some level. <laughs> and maybe it's because they're open to me playing, you know, and they may not have known it. Um, that's like an interesting thought. But yeah, that, that's a very <laughs> interesting thought. Match. Yeah, why not? That, I mean, certainly we know how law of attraction works. That, that could happen, yeah. That makes some sense. There's a lot. There's a lot of calls that I just let go to voicemail, or it doesn't even go to voicemail because they hang up before. But then there are a couple that I decide to engage in, and I believe that if we're engaging, 
it's because we're somehow a match energetically. So it's a win-win for both of us, even if they don't know what the win is yet. <laughs> I can tell you what kind of call I always turn off, I, and I just hang up as soon as I hear it. And that's the one where it's a recorded call. If they can't have a human being talk to me, I'm not even interested in hearing what they have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but just you know those, And I know you know this, but they've gotten so clever that it starts out with you say hello, and then that's a trigger for them to say, well, hello, Miss Dillard. And then there's another trigger, you know, and it's like they have certain triggered responses, and I'd love to just play with those too. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sure you're aware of such and such. And I'll go, I'm so not aware of that. Tell me all about it. <laughs> and then they're on to some other subject. I'm like, are you really not a real person? And again, I know it's a recording, but I'm playing and I'm messing around because it makes me giggle. <laughs> Which is a good reason to and, do it. <laughs> exactly. And since I like to prioritize happiness and one of these comes into my world, I would rather mess around with it and make have it cause me to giggle and laugh than to get aggravated that, like, I ran across the room to go get this stupid call. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't get too many of those calls. In fact, I rarely get a call from a machine that's trying to present itself as a human being. It's usually a message that says something like, don't hang up on this call. As soon as I hear that, I hang up. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing good in it for me. You know? <laughs> I, like, one, one called me the other day, and I could tell it was, it was a human, and I could tell this person was really nervous. Oh. And so I didn't want to make him feel bad. And he just said, is this Wendy Dillard? And I said, yes, it is. And he kind of stammered through the next thing. And he said, well, I'm calling about Democratic Senate person in a district such and such in our area. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, and we just want to know that we can count on your vote. And I said, yes, you can. Now, what this person didn't know is, yes, you can count on my vote, maybe not for that candidate, but you can count on me to vote. <laughs> and then because he got a yes response, he said, oh, then can we put a, a sign in your lawn? And I said, no. <laughs> and it was just no. And he went, oh, like that was so abrupt. He didn't know what to do. Okay, well, thank you for your time. And mm. he hung up. <laughs> yeah. And somebody like that, I'm, I'm much more sympathetic to somebody like that because clearly they're having a hard time, and, and I, I'm not really interested in trying to, you know, play them or anything like that because, I, I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to get somebody like that off the phone anyway. So, you know, I'll let them, you know, say a minute of their spiel, and then I'll say, well, no, thank you, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to me, it's like I gave him an opportunity to go through the script so he could practice with somebody who was going to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. And I gave him the answer, the first answer that he wanted to hear, which was, yes, he could count on my vote. And then the second answer was going to require an action on my part that I didn't want to do. And so that's where I'm like, okay, this is where you get, he got to practice a graciousness by saying, oh, well, okay, then thank you for your time. That's good. So I, I still felt it was a win-win. <laughs> I think it is too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. You're, you're a little bit more willing to, to play somebody like that than I am, but but you do it nicely, so I think it's okay. That's just fine. Well, you know what? Years, Walt. Years I spent being a jerk and being cruel, and then ending up paying for it because I felt so horrible afterwards. Mm, yeah. So like, what did this person do to deserve my cruelty? You know, he's trying to make a living, and so I really changed my own attitude. Um, and my own belief about what, how I wanted to be presented. 
you know. So I want people to to think of me as kind, especially if they find out who I am and what I do for a living. And Mm -hmm, (laughs) I'm a life life coach and connected with law of attraction. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think I'm a jerk because I'm not a jerk. No. (laughs) Which, interestingly enough, actually ties into the topic we have for today. Um, oh, we and, can tie anything into our topic. Go for it. <laughs> well, this is true. We're very good at it. But, I mean, it just strikes me. It is sort of like an inverse connection here because what happened was I, I stumbled upon an article at a website I'd never seen before called BigThink.com by a gentleman named Derek Beres, who is an author. Um, the name of the book that he authored is Whole Motion, Training Your Brain and Body for Optimal Health. And apparently he's working on a new book about spiritual consumerism. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds at least somewhat interesting. But anyway, he wrote this article, and the article was entitled, Why Negative Thinking Has Cognitive and Emotional Benefits. Now, I didn't really have any sense that negative thinking had cognitive and emotional benefits, so I was curious. <laughs> I wanted to find out. You know, cause, well, you know, I, I can't rule it out. I, I, I certainly know, for instance, that, you know, like Joel has talked about, Joel Elston, Many times has talked about how one of the best things that ever happened to him was when he was in the midst of his uh, raging addiction to uh, to gambling. And he got basically arrested for, for theft and thrown in prison. And when that happened, all of a sudden he felt like he had finally hit bottom and now he could climb his way up. So, okay, th- it, it's not perfectly healthy thinking perhaps to get, want to get into prison in the first place, but now he'd found a place where he could find a way to pick himself up. Okay, so it, there's a, a sense where there's negative thinking that, that's kind of helping out there. I, I can I can kind of see that. So I thought, well, maybe there's something like that in here. Well, that was a little optimistic, I'm afraid, <laughs> because <laughs> what it, I'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it to you, because uh, it, it, it sounds like he's going to be talking about positive psychology and then he got, he he turns he kind of confuses positive psychology with law of attraction. So let me just read it to you. It says, "Positive thinking has long been championed in American culture. While optimism is part of our biological inheritance, when we're not hopeful about the future, anxiety and depression can uh, anxiety and depression can easily transform into suicidal tendencies. But positive thinking and positive psychology grew into billion-dollar industries, beginning with Norman Vincent Peale's 1952 book, The Power of Positive Thinking." Whereas the first self-help book, called Self-Help, an 1855 volume by Scottish political reformer Samuel Smiles, was a tribute to the importance of failure. On the other hand, Peel's objective was quite different. After introducing the concept of positive thinking, he taught a continuous and permanent state of optimism. He sold over 5 million copies while remaining on the New York Times bestseller list for 186 consecutive weeks, even as he he was dubbed a con man and his theories were clinically challenged. I said, well, okay, that doesn't bode too well. And I did check. The book that he was referencing by the Samuel Smiles, it is a real book. It's called Self-Help. Now, he says it's a tribute to the importance of failure. That's actually a little bit of an overstatement. What Smiles was actually saying in his book is, here are a series of tales of people who failed and then later, through persistence, ended up succeeding by learning from their mistakes. Which is not really the same thing as what he said. <laughs> he said it yeah. was all about the importance of failure. No, it wasn't about the importance of failure. It's about the, the importance of learning from your mistakes. That's an entirely different thing. So that, that gives you an idea of where this is going. Anyway, next paragraph. Peel's message was too seductive for a growing, dis, growingly dissatisfied culture like America. It was too seductive. That, that's an interesting phrase. Um, hmm. Like a d- dissatisfied 
culture like America in which more is never enough. This messaging was repeated in 2006 when an equally dubious writer published The Secret, taking the metaphysics of positive thought to new heights. Rhonda Byrne promised that if you weren't living right, did she actually say living right? You weren't thinking right, which set up readers to experience serious guilt and to purchase subsequent courses, books, workshops, and the rest of the incredible catalog of add-ons that followed. Yeah, I read that, you know, when you presented it to me last night. I read that paragraph, and I went, boy, that person, whatever you might think of Rhonda Burns, they really twisted the concept of living right or thinking right causes guilt. They also twisted the reality of what Rhonda Byrne did. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. Rhonda Byrne has never held a workshop. She has had a couple of books. She's never put together a course, and her catalog is actually pretty thin. It just has a few books in it. But somehow yeah. that's, that morphed into courses in a workshop. Like, what? <laughs> Which Rhonda Byrne was he but, looking at? <laughs> you know, what, what's that old adage that any publicity is good publicity? Yeah, right. <laughs> and or the reverse side, you know, like it only it, – Oprah said this once. Let me see if I can think of this statement. It only requires a sliver of doubt to create suspicion. Mm-hmm. So what? how I took that, it's kind of like once suspicion is put into the equation, like someone has spoken it, especially if it goes out into the media, it's like somebody who may be completely innocent, but somebody has chosen to say something slanderous, all of a sudden you can never take that back. Right. And that person will always be under suspicion by some people. Right. No matter how innocent they are. No matter what the evidence. The comment about Rhonda Burns is like, is that for me, where it's like some author, this person who wrote this article, chose to say those things, which are kind of slanderous, you know, and what's his repercussion? Probably zero. But someone who has no idea who Rhonda Burns is, if they hear about the secret later on, they may go, Oh, isn't that woman who's all about helping to instill guilt in people? <laughs> well, actually, I, I do believe that the repercussions are there because he's put this stuff out there. That's got to come back to him in some way. Hmm. I'm not sure how, but and we may never find out, but that's got to come back to him somehow. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised oh. if, if he got something similar about his own books because he's, he's an author himself, hmm. right? Well, I guess that's part of freedom of speech in America. I guess it is, yeah. So anyway, continuing with the article, which is already now on very dubious ground. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you and I just slandered it. <laughs> Did we slander it or we simply say, what courses? <laughs> what workshops? <laughs> I've never heard of any. I mean, if Rhonda Bird did a workshop, I'd like to hear about it. Because, I mean, I, I've watched pretty carefully. I haven't seen any sign of workshop from her. I've seen lots of workshops from people who advocate law of attraction, but not Rhonda mm-hmm. Byrne. But I don't know. Maybe I missed it. <laughs> okay. So what else does he have to say? So he says, all the while, the science of optimism has been on unstable ground. In fact, focusing on the worst might be more cognitively and emotionally beneficial than hoping for the best. As Oliver Berkman, a positive psychology critic and columnist at The Guardian argues, quote, it's our relentless effort to feel happy or to achieve certain goals that is precisely what makes us miserable and sabotages our plans. And it is our... That is const- a wild sentence and a wild claim. It really is. 
<laughs> but wait, yeah. there, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, <laughs> are there Ginsu knives that you're going to yes, throw Yes, there are Ginsu knives. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and that is that it is our constant quest to eliminate or to ignore the negative, such as insecurity, uncertainty, failure, or sadness that causes us to feel so insecure, anxious, uncertain, or unhappy in the first place. What now, actually, have you been smoking, and why be, haven't you been sharing? Been, hold on, that might be the first little piece of truth I found. Oh, okay. And the reason I say this is because as I was reading the article, I thought, well, if you focus on getting rid of whatever that list of insecurity, insecurity, and uncertainty, things, failure, sadness, yeah. Well, whatever you place your focus on, you get more of it. So yes, if you're trying to get rid of all those negative feelings. It is very possible that people are getting more of that because that is the job of law of attraction to bring to you more of whatever you're feeling. Okay, I can see how it would bring more of it, but he says it causes us to feel insecure, anxious, uncertain, or unhappy. So, what is he suggesting? Is he suggesting that until we let's go back to the beginning of the sentence? And that it is our constant quest to eliminate or to ignore the negative. To eliminate or ignore the negative. So he's saying the quest to eliminate or to ignore insecurity, uncertainty, failure, and sadness causes us to feel insecure, anxious, uncertain, or unhappy. Well, why did we go to try to eliminate or ignore it in the first place? He, he, he like leaves that hanging like a dangling thing there. Like, well, that doesn't really matter. <laughs> Well, and as a practitioner of the law of attraction, how is that for a cool little sentence? Very nice. Um, as a practitioner of the law of attraction, I'd say, and if you want to eliminate those negative feelings, that is a totally appropriate desire because anything you want, you can have. Yeah. There are just some rules that you need to line up with so that the law of attraction can help you with it. And that's what so I was thinking about, on, too. I was thinking yeah, about that too. If you focus too. on what's not working, you're going to get more of what's not working. But here's what what I also realized: it's very likely this guy doesn't understand how the law of attraction works. So, if he's raising the question of is it worthwhile to eliminate or ignore negativity, it doesn't seem likely to me that he's not doing it because he's trying to apply the law of attraction, but simply because he's feeling negative. He's just feeling bad. That's why he wants to eliminate it. Isn't that what the premise is saying? I feel bad, therefore I want to eliminate the thing that makes me feel bad? Yeah, kind of. I don't know, maybe. I well, mean, to me, I have to say that when I read it, his writing was in such a style that it was hard for me to really understand it yeah. what it was he was trying to get across. And well, that's that just it. Is one of those. There's a good example yeah. of it, right. Uh, and, and he describes it as a constant quest. Well, okay, if it's a constant quest... That means we have a whole society of people who are constantly feeling insecurity, uncertainty, failure, and sadness and wanting to eliminate or ignore that. But he doesn't really set that up in his, his sentence at all. He just yeah. It's kind of like there in the background. <laughs> I mean, I think it's true. I think there are a lot of people who feel that way and would like yeah. to eliminate it. Yeah. But how he sets it up in his article, I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to do with that information. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, he he basically ties himself up in a knot that goes nowhere. It's it's a crazy argument. And we probably spent too much time on that sentence. That's my fault. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so the next sentence. Berkman suggests that fully experiencing negative emotions steals you against the reality of life's transience. 
Okay. The negative path teaches us to learn to enjoy times of uncertainty, embrace insecurity, and with a head nod to Samuel Smiles, constantly learn from failure. Well, I like the learn from failure part. The rest of it, I'm like, well, well, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think everybody, because we're all such unique individuals, how we process information for every individual is going to be different. And I know that because one of the first studies I ever really took to heart was one on personality temperaments. Uh-huh. I started learning that probably when I was a teenager. Okay. And it's something I've been certified in. So I look at the world through people's different personality lenses. And what I know is about half the population sees the world from an optimistic point of view first, and the other half of the population sees it from a pessimistic perspective first. Okay. It doesn't mean that each side can't see it from the other way, but to me, the way he wrote this article is he's coming from the half of the temperaments that come from the pessimistic point of view, so the ways he's phrasing things and setting things up in his assumptions are from the pessimistic side. Yeah, I think that's true. And I don't know that I agree or disagree with everything he's saying, but I am aware that he set it up from that point of view. Yes, I agree with you. I I definitely think that's what's going on here. And, And for that reason, I think you have to kind of take the phrasing with a grain of salt because if you understand that he's looking at it from a purely pessimistic viewpoint, then he's going to be limited in his ability to define it, I think. That, that's one thing that I've noticed about optimism versus pessimism. Optimism can, can encompass a w- much wider range of understanding than pessimism can. Pessimism can understand one thing, pessimism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. An optimist and, I mean, knows optim- pessimism, but pessimists rarely know optimism. Okay. I don't know that I'd make those generalities because I can think of different people that I know that kind of fit in all the different buckets. Okay. Uh, Like, for instance, I used to uh, be a part of this monthly business meeting at my company, and, you know, um, the boss was talking about some new initiative that we were doing, and he was touting all the positive benefits that were going to come from this. Of course, while he's trying to sell us on it, what he's really trying to sell is, hey, here's some extra work you're all going to have to do, but yeah. it'll have this great benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, we had two people on our team that I would sit in the background. Now, mind you, this is a virtual call, so nobody can see each other. But to me, I felt like I, I felt like I was in the back row snickering, waiting for these two people on our team to speak up because they were the ones who, oh, one spoke the voice of pessimism, and the other spoke with what he would call the voice of reason. Okay. But they were always kind of like, well, we don't think those benefits are really good enough. And has anyone ever considered X, Y, Z and all these other things? And it was hysterical because it would cause this conversation now to move from the boss is all, yay, cheerleader, cheerleader, we're all on board, to, oh, crap. <laughs> now i got to answer these questions. Yeah. But it would, it, what it did ultimately is it created a sense of balance and it helped everybody on the team feel like they were not only weighing in, but they were now seeing both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And because I'm more the Pollyanna optimist, in the beginning of being a part of these meetings and hearing these two people kind of drag everything down, I used to think, oh, man, they're really ruining it. But over time, I started to get incredible appreciation for their perspective. 
because they weren't willing to just drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They weren't willing to just take it because someone told them to do it. They were thinking through their own sense of logic and their own filters and presenting another perspective. And eventually I found that we actually gain more benefit by hearing both sides of the argument or both sides of the issue versus if you only heard the cheerleader side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, I can see that. So this is where me as the Pollyanna uh, positive optimist, I used to not want to look at the negative side because I thought it was somehow going to rob me of my positive experience. But instead, I have been willing to embrace the pessimistic or the negative side so that I could go, huh, you know what? Sometimes they're actually presenting a, an idea that is a cautionary tale. It's something that we need to be looking at so the whole thing doesn't fall apart because they find the problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wasn't always willing to look at the problems because like, oh, you're just a naysayer. And now I'm like, no, shoot holes in it. If I have a great idea, shoot holes in it so that I can figure out how to plug them before I launch this new idea. I, I think so, you're proving my point, actually. Because okay. you are one of the most optimistic people I've ever met, and you just demonstrated that you were able, perhaps with a little bit of arm twisting, but you were able to see the pessimistic viewpoint. I have also dealt in my life with a number of people who were extremely pessimistic. And I can't say I know everything about them, because obviously my only interaction with them was when I interacted with them. I didn't see the rest of their lives. So I can't perhaps draw a nice, easy generalization but if i had to draw a generalization i would say that they never thought an optimistic thought in their lives and Mm. i would say that based on numerous times me and others trying to present optimistic thoughts to them and they had they would have nothing to do with it under any circumstance and and my observation is people who are in that mindset are much 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 less likely to be able to view the optimistic side than the 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 maximum optimist is to see the pessimistic side. I I think that the greater imbalance is on the pessimism side. And I think that's reflective in our society. We already agreed. Our society is a very negative society. There's a very negative focus in our society. Um, It's one that I think is actually going to start shifting pretty quick. In fact, I think it already is starting to shift. But nevertheless, we see it in a lot of different ways. We are part of that change, by the way. And we are, yeah, which is a good thing. So pat ourselves on the back. But the, the simple fact is, while that's there, it's a great opportunity to see what the super pessimists are doing, what the super unoptimistic people are doing. And what they're basically doing is a combination of exploding and imploding. Um, you can see it in the political scene. You can see it in entertainment. My, my wife went up to New Hampshire this past weekend to visit a cousin that she hadn't seen in many years. And while she was there, um, her cousin and her husband wanted to watch a program with Ann Curry. And I don't know what the program was. I don't really know anything what, what it was about or anything like that. But it was a new program that apparently she's hosting. And this program, as Louise described it, spent 45 minutes going through all the angst of whatever the, the conflict was in the situation and then just spent the last 15 minutes showing the resolution, which is very indicative of what goes on in our society as a whole. There's a whole emphasis of negative, and, and the only way you can sell the advertising is if you're showing, shoving negative news at them, and the only way that you can sell entertainment is if it's loaded with all kinds of, of negativity and on and on and on and on. That's, that's like the thesis of our modern society. And yet, more and more people are starting to feel like, I am so sick of this negativity. But the people who are at the very 
the, the core of that, that negative funnel, if you will, the ones who are at the very bottom who are gaining the most of this, they're the ones that are least interested in looking at anything positive. And many of them are often the leaders of industries. Um, the entertainment industry is, is, is quite chock full of it. We're, we're actually seeing it now in, in a number of different ways, including all the um, allegations about sexual harassment and so forth. And, and it's becoming clear that a lot of the stereotypes about the entertainment industry are sadly quite true, it turns out. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a cynical way of looking at it, but that, that's pretty much what's going on, that, that the people who are in the most cynical positions and who have the most cynical attitudes are running the thing. Well, that tells me they're not really in a space where they're ready to embrace any kind of optimism because they have every reason not to. Now, is it possible that they could eventually change if, like, society shifts in a major way and, and turns highly optimistic? Yeah, that's possible. I, I, I'll leave that possibility open, but I'm not convinced of it yet. I'm not convinced of it because I'm not convinced that those people don't have a, what, what Jung called the, the, the suicidal tendency, the tendency of self-destruction, and that they, I, I'm not convinced that they haven't embraced that. Because I think that's like at the basis of, of pure pessimism. Now, maybe that's just my twisted take on it. I don't know. Um, I I do think I have at least some reason to justify it because I came through a pessimistic stage in my life where I was very depressed, and so I feel like I have I have some knowledge of it. I have some you know some experience with it. So may, maybe I'm I'm clouded by that. I don't know, but okay. So I, we're I think gonna I'm call right. you twisted okay. because we're calling me Pollyanna, and okay. there, therefore we can have the ging and the yang. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that's good. So anyway, I, I'm again, I'm probably going too far on this kind of thing because I, I just think that he's whacked. <laughs> but then he goes well, into, then he starts presenting his evidence. Okay, so okay, now he's going to present evidence. I figured, well, this is good. I mean, I may not like the way he presented, he's presenting his stuff, but okay, he's going to present evidence. So let's see what the evidence has to say. So he says real-world data backs this up, and he cites a 2010 study published in the journal Emotion, which is published by the American Psychiatry Association, I found out. And in it, they discovered that students who felt optimistic about test scores were more distraught when not hitting their target than doubtful students who ended up scoring higher than expected. And I thought about that. So Me too. So I want to hear what you have to say about it. So, so he's saying that if you had a expectation that was higher than what you got as a test score you would be distraught and if you got a test score that if you expect a lower test score and got a higher one you would be happy and i'm thinking we really need to have a study for that but isn't he saying that the reverse happened well he said let me read the sentence again the study discovered that students who felt optimistic about test score scores were more distraught when not hitting their target than were doubtful students who ended up scoring higher than expected. Mm-hmm. So if you so, if you over if your guess was higher than what you got, you were depressed, and if your guess was lower than what you got, you were optimistic afterward, even though you started from a, well, from, from from more doubtful perspective. See, now I looked at that from. Again, a different viewpoint, which is, all right, so I was a straight-A student, and I generally had expectations of getting good grades. So if I expected to get 100% and I got 98, I was bummed. But did that mean what he's – I think he's trying to elude a different kind of idea 
than this. And I think like the, like my brother, he was a very average student who could have cared less about his grades. And so if he was expecting a C and he got a B, he'd be like, so what? Who cares? Because it just didn't matter to him. Okay. So I felt like just in my example, I was able to give you two sides of the coin that really substantiate what he's saying, but I don't think what he's trying to get across um, has merit. Because does that mean that me, the straight-A student, you know, I shouldn't get – have, shouldn't have an expectation of a high grade just because it bums me out when I didn't get the score I, I expected? Well, I think that's I, I think you're probably right. Now, here's something that even muddies the water further because it turns out I found the study. Even though he didn't name the study, I found it just by looking on certain search terms. The study is called The Costs of Optimism and the Benefits of Pessimism. And the only reason I couldn't read the whole study is I didn't feel like shelling out 12 bucks to find out about this thing. <laughs> so I didn't buy the thing. But there is an abstract. And you read the abstract, and it really doesn't match up with, with what he wrote. Let me read it to you. It says, research suggests that optimism feels good. However, does it always feel good? We suggest that the benefits and costs of optimism and pessimism depend upon their timing. A study of exam score estimates revealed that after controlling for actual exam performance, and I had to look that one up to see what that was. We'll talk about that in a minute. After controlling for actual exam performance, optimistic expectations are unrelated to how people feel immediately before feedback. That's a really loaded phrase for you. Mm -hmm. In contrast to the common wisdom that optimism feels good. And furthermore, optimism has costs after feedback. Participants who predicted higher scores before feedback felt worse after learning their scores. So that adds another little twist in it. And finally, people seem to be aware of the potential costs of optimism. Participants who predicted higher scores before feedback also anticipated experiencing greater disappointment should they perform poorly. So there's a lot of twists going in there that... This guy, Barris, had no clue about whatsoever. Well, I didn't. Well, I couldn't read the article, but what I did find was something written by the author of the article. And this author is a professor of psychology at, uh, let's see, where is she? Uh, UC California, one of the University of California branches. I can't remember which one it is, and I'm not seeing it here right now. It turns out that she has done some research to show that Positivity isn't always great from a, um, a scientific study point of view, but she rejects the idea that we should just reject positivity because she says, before I make the case against positivity as a panacea, let me be clear, positivity has many benefits, well supported by solid research, which he didn't allude to at all. And, and she goes on to, to describe a whole bunch of it, including the benefits related to optimism. Her purpose is not to condemn positivity and optimism at all. Her purpose is simply to say, let's not overthink some of this stuff. Let's not overreact to some of this stuff. And some of the examples that she gives includes things like, let's see, i got to read down through the article here. Okay, so imagine you had an interview for your dream job. Which feels better, assuming the best that you nailed the interview and will be getting any offer any minute, or assuming the worst? Most people would choose... Confident optimism over quivering doubt. In fact, optimism can be a great choice in the short run, but timing is everything. 
here's that phrase again, like on the, the study, abstract, research on a phenomenon called bracing for the worst finds that as people approach the moment of truth, a moment when their hopes may be dashed and their greatest fears realized, people typically turn away from optimism and into the cold yet reassuring embrace of worst-case thinking in an effort to prepare themselves for bad news. So basically, people start out optimistic as the moment of truth comes, their optimism fades, and they fall into pessimism. And that, therefore, the professor is saying, you know, you can't rely on optimism to get you through that. Well, that's not at all what Paris was saying. <laughs> that's not even close to what he was talking about. <laughs> it's you not know, even I the same ballpark. To me, there's like the elephant in the room here that I'm going to talk about, which is there are correlations being made that I don't necessarily think ought to be connected. Yeah. You know, having optimism about getting a job and then being disappointed when you don't get it, the, the correlation is, see, you shouldn't have been optimistic to begin with because it causes you to end up feeling disappointed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just random, two random ideas put together, and I think it's stupid. That is my personal professional opinion. <laughs> Because I'm the, I am the eternal optimist, and if I was going to a job interview and I didn't get it, of course I would be disappointed. However, does that mean I want to now give up being optimistic? Heck no. My optimism is what keeps me buoying up to feel good. And I know the many, 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 many times that I have experienced disappointment, of course it felt bad. But would I have preferred to have stayed in a state of optimism or feel the disappointment. Well, to me, there's not even a choice. I mean, to me, it's like it, it's a foregone conclusion. I would always want to feel good because feeling bad doesn't feel good. It feels bad. That's right. Yeah. And, and this, is so why, I, this is why I referred to our, our um, show today as looking at the negative thinking straw man because that's essentially what Barris has set up here, the idea of the straw man. And a straw man is an argument that you claim is what the other side is presenting, but it really isn't. Doesn't represent at all what they're 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 they're, they're representing, what they're advocating. And then you beat that that straw man down and prove, well, the straw man is wrong. So here's here's how I've disproved their entire argument. That's what a straw man argument is, and that's what he's engaging in. He's engaging in straw man arguments because I don't know anyone. I don't even know Rhonda Byrne of the Secret advocating anything even remotely close to what he's talking about here. In fact, I'm not even sure he knows what he's talking about. We're, we're pretty sure I mean, just from reading I heard, his, his All text I heard it. from that whole paragraph about Rhonda Byrne was that she is somehow engaging in helping people feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I don't get that. If, no, I've seen interviews with Rhonda Byrne. That is absolutely not where she's going. Uh, it, I, mean, I mean, she's a student. She's a student of Abraham Hicks. You know, for goodness sake, she is not, you know, an advocate for, hey, let's promote guiltiness. <laughs> it's, it's like the last thing that appears on the list. And she and well, I mean, the whole thing, his whole paragraph there about Burns was wrong. And, and his his even his paragraph about Samuel Smiles, who wrote the self-help book, who he apparently thinks he's supporting. Even that paragraph was wrong. It just it, it just completely misrepresented what Smiles was arguing for. And, but and, now I wonder, because, you know, all things are, are connected and there, isn't, there is no coincidence, just synchronicity. What if, just what if, just like I started with my win for the day where I had the fun scenario where somebody's calling me, a solicitor's calling me, and I just had fun with them. Yeah. 
and I was saying things like, no, I don't own a computer. No, I don't have a cell phone. Well, of course I own, like, three computers and I have a cell phone, you know. <laughs> oh, I've got so that. many devices around here, it's unreal. <laughs> but it's like, it was just to change the mood. It was to go from this guy who's trying to sell me really hard and heavy reading this script to let's just have fun and be playful. You know, who knows? Maybe that's what the author's intention was, which is let's throw out something that's so erroneous and so ridiculous that it'll cause people to, like, have good conversation. Well, work with us. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, for me, I can take it with a grain of salt. Um, You know, I hope that people don't put any real stock into, oh, my goodness, I ought to let go of any positivity that I'm thinking I'm having because ultimately it's going to cause me to, like, lose my sense of worth and and I'll feel bad. (laughs) I'll get disappointed, you know. I can't imagine. I mean, I know common sense is not necessarily common, but, you know, I can't believe that people would buy into that and go, oh, I'm going to change my whole lifestyle and give up on thinking positively ever again. Yeah, I can't really believe that either. I I don't care how depressed you are. I just can't see how anyone would buy into that because the article is just, I mean, the only way you can buy into that is if you just don't read the article carefully and you just say, okay, I'm going to take the the headline at at its face value and just go with it. And if you do that, you're basically saying, well, I'm justifying my depression. Okay. (laughs) If somebody wants to do that, that's absolutely their choice. That is their choice, yeah. And it's somebody who hasn't hit bottom yet. Sadly, they'll eventually hit bottom. Everything we experience is for our good. And when when we experience something happy and good, it's for us to feel good. When we experience something on the con- on contrasting side of life where it's ugly, it's disappointing, it, it feels horrible, that's so that we can have, that's the message, that emotion is the message saying, wow, we are really out of line with what's available to us, which is the absolute polar opposite. Mm. Yep. And that's the message of feeling icky. It is. Is that the opposite of icky is available to us if we will look toward it. And that's really the the benefit of, of hitting bottom when you think about it, because hitting bottom is finally deciding, I'm done with Icky. I'm just done with it. You know, I, I watched my father, who I thought he'd hit bottom I don't know how many times, and my mom and I would have conversations, and she's like, oh, but he's at bottom. I said, you know what, I've seen Dad's bottom get worse. I've seen his <laughs> bottom drop to even more bottom. Oh, no. Because she and I were basing it on what – our tolerances were right yeah and to us this was so low we just couldn't allow ourselves to go any lower because we saw what he was going through and it was just miserable and i said but you know watch him he's going to go lower still Mm. he's not ready to change yet wow so you know everybody has their own their own space all you can really do is is just give them as much love as you can and just wait it out because they will eventually hit their bottom it will happen it's just sometimes it takes a while and you know what? I even went so far as to learn to get out of someone's way so they can hit bottom faster. And I stopped helping them because if they weren't asking for my help, one, they're not ready for it. But two, by trying to help them when they weren't asking, I was actually prolonging before they would hit bottom. Yeah. Because they got to happen. feel a little bit better because of my help. Sure. So yeah. I get out of the way and go, oh no. It is now up to me. Like, I take it as a personal thing. If I see someone going down really fast, I get out of the way and let them hit bottom faster. 
Well, unfortunately, we can't wait for him to hit bottom because we're actually out of time for the show. But <laughs> we can certainly pick up a slightly happier variation of it tomorrow. And uh, I don't even have, even have time to say uh, subscribe other than to say subscribe. So I've done that. Wendy, it's been a pleasure. Let's, let's do it again tomorrow, okay? You got it. <laughs> we'll see you all tomorrow here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye now.